only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This morning, uh, we've invited uh, Steve Persifil, who's the REF minister at Texas Tech. And uh, many of you don't know this, but uh, he was a member of our church for years before he went to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and then after seminary uh, is now back at Texas Tech and has just finished his first year there. It may interest you to know that he was on the pulpit committee uh, that called me. So if you want to speak to him as to why he did that, uh, you could see him after uh, worship as well. But we've invited Steve to say a few words about his ministry and then uh, to read God's Word for us this morning. Well, I want to begin by saying uh, what, a, what a blessing and an encouragement it is um, to be with you. But it is somewhat bittersweet for me. Um, as I look out uh, across the congregation and see uh, families who are so dear to us, who we, we've grown with in so many ways, um, I feel a bit incomplete. Um, the original plan was that my family would be here with me. And as I look at you now, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit sad, um, more sad than I expected it to be, to be here without them. Um, but I do send you greetings from my beautiful bride, Kelly, and my family. Um, we are excited to be where we are, um, and we miss you a ton. It is a blessing to be here with you and a privilege to read God's word for you today. So turn with me, Psalm 119, and I'll be reading um, verses 89 through 112. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers... For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. 
I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Try to remind you at the end, but Steve will be out in the uh, foyer and have be set up out there. So I urge you, please, to get to know Steve and get to know his ministry there uh, at Texas Tech. <clears throat> Yesterday, I don't know if he even knew it, but he had a red and black shirt on. Was that on purpose? I mean, it was a Red Raider shirt. Just It just exudes, you know, now. So uh, let us pray as we come to God's Word to open it up. <clears throat> oh, Father... We thank you that you've given this word and and you've given us your Holy Spirit that we would understand it. And moreover, that we would be gripped by it, that we would be thrilled by it and amazed by the God uh, that we find there and what he has done for us. And Lord, that our lives would be transformed by it. We recognize that apart from your grace, we would be like those uh, sections of the field that Christ describes, one hardened ground where Satan snatches it up like birds' seed that falls on hard ground and others that uh, grow quickly but fade and are burned up because of the sun and affliction that, that will do not withstand the persecution difficulties of this world, but abandon you and your word or, or others that are choked out because of the weeds of this world's desire, this world's cares. Oh, Lord, there's so much to interfere with our becoming that soil in which the word falls and bears fruit and gives 30, 60, and 100-fold produce. Oh, Lord, may that mark our lives, that your word has abundant fruit that demonstrates itself in our holiness, our love, our patience, our goodness, our conformity to Jesus Christ, our spending ourselves for others, even as Christ spent himself for us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody ever thought about Memorizing Psalm 119, <laughs> 176 verses. Uh, you probably know that it's an acrostic, so that it's even outlined in that way, isn't it? As you see, each of those little words at the top of each section is a Hebrew letter. So every verse in that section begins with the letter. There are other acrostic psalms. Uh, Psalm 37, 24, 111, won't go into all of that. They have different forms of acrostic, even that great poem about the uh, woman, the godly woman in Proverbs 31. That's an acrostic as well in the Hebrew. But this one is singular in that eight verses 
Uh, as one says, uh, one guy says that each letter is given the opportunity, you know, given the role to introduce eight more uh, verses about the Word of God. And the whole of this psalm is about the Word. There's hardly a verse in it that in some way or another doesn't speak of the Word of God. And, of course, the main thing we see in it, it's just long. You know, it's the longest psalm. Spurgeon gives a very interesting story about a guy named George Wishart. Who uh, Now, this there's a, if you history buffs are out there, there's a George Wishart who's a Scottish reformer in the 16th century who was a martyr. This fellow was a biographer of uh, the Marquis uh, of Montrose in the next century. Okay, okay, good. Uh, that's for Thomas Warmath, okay. Um, no. <laughs> but um, so the story goes, at least as Spurgeon lays it out in his uh, introduction to Psalm 119, that uh, George Wishart was facing the gallows. He's about to be hung. And according to the... Uh, practice of the day, the custom of the day, the person condemned could pick a psalm to sing before he was condemned. He picked Psalm 119 to make it as long as possible, of course. And the story goes that before they were two-thirds of the way through, a pardon came. So the psalm, in a sense, saved his life, right? Uh, But I would suggest to you that this psalm uh, can, in a sense, save your life. That it is a psalm to save your life, to nourish your life, to sustain your spiritual life in a tremendous, tremendous way. Uh, The writer Venn speaks of this psalm and speaks of how the whole of our inner life is just laid out in this psalm. You see this man's constant reflection, constant interaction with the psalm. You see, as we'll get into more next week, that this man lived in in great affliction, very great difficulty, and kept clinging to God's Word. It's a tremendous psalm to reveal just how a person struggling uh, hangs on to God's Word and trusts in God's Word. Vin says this, that uh, this, this is the psalm I have often had recourse to when I could find no spirit of prayer in my own heart. And at length, the fire was kindled and I could pray. It's said of Henry Martin, that great missionary who, a linguist, and he went to India uh, for really a brief few years. He was going to work on further translation in Persia, but he died at a young age due to exhaustion and disease at age 31. But in his diary, he talks about Psalm 119. He says, In the evening I grew better by reading Psalm 119, which generally brings me into a spiritual frame of mind. And another place, My mind was beginning to sink into discontent at my unprofitableness, but by reading some of Psalm 119 and prayer, I recovered. And another time when he was really struggling with anxiety... He wrote this, It was not till I learned some of Psalm 119 that I could return to a proper spirit. And, and uh, uh, Plummer, in, as he's writing about this, the uh, Presbyterian uh, commentator, uh, American in, in the 19th century, he said you can hardly read a, a religious biography, you can hardly read a Christian biography without reference to Psalm 119 and what role it played in people's lives. So this is going to be a a huge commendation of this psalm to you 
because of its richness. Edwards basically says, I won't give you his exact language, but he basically says, I know of no other place in Scripture where godliness is better set forth than right here. It's like if you want to get to one of the primary uh, veins of godliness gold in the whole of the mind of God's Word, here it is, Psalm 119, the great Jonathan Edwards would say. And it's interesting that a more liberal scholar, uh, Walter Brueggemann, has this to say. uh, It is, in fact, a massive intellectual achievement. It is an astonishingly crafted poem. So a glorious piece of writing on an intellectual uh, scale, but a rich mine of spirituality and, and a place for tremendous growth for us. A towering hymn in God's magnificent hymn book. But not only what Psalm 119 is in itself, okay? The psalm itself is so glorious. But it's how Psalm 119 is a kind of gateway into the whole of God's Word for you. You know, we talked about how Psalm 1 was a kind of front porch of the hymn book of God. Here it is placing God's providence as a beginning way into worship to say, as you go into worship, the blessed man, the man that belongs to God, the true worshiper of God, meditates day and night in God's Word. Don't think that you worship God in whatever way you choose. Don't think that you just make up your own ideas about God or that you have some kind of just mystical experience with God apart from His Word. No, true worshipers are lovers of God's Word. Any true worshiper of God is a lover of God's Word. That's what we're told right at the outset. Well, here we see this. It's like if you walked into a house and you're kind of struck by the fact as you walked in the house that there are little rooms around. You could see a few doors and you realize this whole house is, is, is a dining room. It's like the biggest room in the house is a dining room. They must really believe in eating here. They must really believe in party and fellowship, etc. Well, you walk into the hymn book of God, guess what the biggest room is? It's about the Word of God. It's to say in this way. it, It forms kind of like a sun that brings all of the hymns in God's of the hymn book in the orbit of God's Word. This gravitational pull of this huge psalm to say every psalm of worship must feed upon the Word of God, is a part of the Word of God, the central place of the Word of God in worship is what this psalm proclaims in its place in in the book of Psalms. And so, in a way, because it's about the Word of God, you could almost say this is the manual for the Word of God. Or if you take the whole Word of God as a manual as how to know and love God, here are the instructions for this manual. You know, here is the manual. Here's how you use this. It's kind of a gateway into all of the Word of God because... It affects how you understand what the Word of God is, how you're to respond to that Word, how you're to feel toward that Word. As you see this man's constant interaction with the Word, verse after verse after verse after verse, it's it's really a training ground for how I should deal with the Word of God. 
So it's not only the richness of Psalm 119 itself, it's that you can be trained through this psalm and, and conditioned and changed by this psalm to even as to how you should regard all of the Word of God, because that's what it's talking about. You see one man's godly uh, interaction with the Word of God. And in that sense, too, I would say it's kind of an appetizer, you know, for the Word. I'll talk a little bit more about that toward the end. Uh, But Matthew Henry's father, Philip Henry, who's also a minister, says this, All grace grows as love to the Word of God grows. All grace grows only as love for the Word of God grows. Now, other things happen too, love for people, etc. But, but it's never apart from a love for the God's Word. And so this, hymn, this great hymn is just fixed to create in you more and more a love of God's Word. And it's interesting, Philip Henry would tell his kids, he gave them this exercise for themselves to... Uh, Take one verse of Psalm 119 every day, which if you did that, if you counted up, it would put you through the psalm about two times a year. But he said uh, to meditate on it every day, just one of these verses, and he says, this will bring you to be in love with all the rest of the scriptures. Now, I do a sim- I've done a similar thing in years in my suggestion for a devotionals, which I'll get to at the end. But I just love that. Take one of these a day for a year to bring you into a love of the whole of God's Word. So, Psalm 119, uh, a rich treasure in itself, but then a gateway to help us get to the treasure of the whole of the Word of God as well. Now, with that rather lengthy introduction to a rather lengthy psalm, uh, let me give you three uh, points to consider. And, of course, here, Psalm 119 is not one of those psalms where it follows a theme in a careful way. One guy described it. It's not a chain link of, I think it was Matthew Henry, it's not a chain link of, uh, of gold. It's like a bunch of gold rings in a box. And they're all scattered there. So you find subjects scattered throughout the uh, psalm, and they're linked together, of course, by this uh, poetic structure that he has uh, of the acrostic. So we're going to take it more in a thematic way and kind of get to some of the main parts of the psalm to help you see it uh, from an overall standpoint. First of all, it's so important to understand that He loves God's Word because of his relationship to God. It's because of his relationship to God. In fact, Dr. Van Gameren, one of my professors at RTS Jackson, who's now at Trinity uh, in Deerfield, Trinity Seminary, says this, The beauty of this psalm lies not only in the recitation of devotion to the law, but in the psalmist's devotion to the Lord. The beauty in this psalm resounds from the relationship of the psalmist and his God. In other words, everything you see here, it's not simply his love for the Word as separate from God. It's because he loves God. It's all about God, really. That's the point here. You're, you're, you're seeing this tremendous love uh, poem to God, but it's all because it's all about God, it has to be about his Word because they're so united. So in, as we look at this overall idea that he loves God's word because of his relationship with God, you first can see throughout the psalm his personal expressions about God. 
And I'll just wander through and read some of these for you. I hope your Bibles are open to page 512, if that is, uh, you're using the Pew Bible, the ESV. But otherwise, to have it open to Psalm 119. But first, his personal expressions about God that show you that in all of his love for the Word, it's God that he's all about. And it begins in verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. What's keeping your testimonies about? It's seeking God with all of your heart. It's not just keeping a law for the law's sake, a rule for the rule's sake. It's because I want to seek God. And just a few verses down in verse 10, he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Why must I not wander from my commandments? Because this represents my whole relationship with you. And and I'm seeking with all of my heart. In the very next verse, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See how personal it is? Oh Lord, I don't want to break fellowship with you. I don't want to do anything against you. And that's why I want your word. It's, It's all about you and me, Lord God. I love Psalm 119, verse 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Why do I keep your law? Why do I desire to obey you? I constantly remember you and think on you, and therefore I want to keep your law. A few verses later, Psalm uh, verse 57, The Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words. As you know, that word is the word that is used uh, in the dividing up of Canaan. This is your part, this is your part, this is your part. And so in regard to life, he says, the Lord is my part. He's my piece of the pie. He's what I want. And since he is what I want, since I desire him above all else, and I don't care in the end if I have anything, as long as I have him, therefore, I promise to keep your words. See? The, the promise, the desire to obey, the desire to follow, it's all rooted in relationship. In relationship. All these personal expressions. There are many, uh, many more. Uh, I'll, for time, I won't uh, go. I had, you know, there were hundreds more. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but there were uh, a dozen, two dozen more expressions like this in, in Psalm 119. But you get the idea. This personal relationship, these personal expressions about God. But also, and this is a simple thing, but it, it needs to be underscored. Not only his personal expression about God, but his possessive use of God's Word or his, the possessive form of God's Word. He never just says the Word. He never says the testimony. It's always your law, your testimony, your statutes, your precepts, your commandments, your promises. See, that's what makes them what they are. It's all about you, Yahweh, what you have said to me. And because it's you that said it, oh, I want to keep it. I want to know it. I want to live it out. Oh, that's why he would say something like, oh, that my ways will be steadfast in keeping your statutes, verse 5. Because it's you. It's you. You imagine lovers separated years ago when they couldn't, text each other like Kay and I can now, no matter where you are. I'm at Presbytery. 
you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, imagine, though, lovers separated years ago, and their only means of, means of communication is, is a letter, you know. So imagine somebody getting, uh, the mail comes in, you know. It, it's like bill, bill, uh, advertisement, announcement, offer, offer, bill, bill. <gasps> there it is! And he runs over, he sits down in the, his favorite spot right when the light's coming through the window. He pulls out his letter opener because even the envelope is special, you know. So he carefully opens it up so he can always slip it right back in there and have it neatly. He opens it up and he pours over it and he reads it three times and he holds it to his chest. Ah, you know. But, but why? It's not the letter, is it? It's her. It's her. This is her letter. It's not a bill. It's not an announcement. It's not a letter from Oja. It's her. It's her word. And so it's precious and he wants to know it. He wants to know what he's thinking. And it's the fact that her heart is expressed here. She's telling me what she's doing. She's telling me what she's thinking. She's telling me what she thinks about me. And I love to hear that, you see. That's what's there. It's a gateway to her, so to speak. It's, it's kind of an admittance into her fellowship, into her presence through this letter. You see, that's what this, it's his word. It's your law. Oh, God. That's why it is precious. And so the other part of that, calling your word and, and what he is, the fact that he's expressed himself in it, there's no seeking God apart from seeking Him in His Word. I don't mean that you don't seek Him in prayer and fellowship and even in the midst of trials and ministry, that that's part of your seeking Him, okay? All of life is seeking Him. Even in your work, there's a sense in which you are seeking Him. You're seeking His presence and His blessing and you're depending on Him at your work. All of life is lived in His presence. But undergirding it all... What fuels it all is a love for His Word because here is where He is laid out for you. This is what supplies you with who He is and what He is for you. The promises that sustain you in every other part of your life. It's His Word. He's to be found in His Word. He, he, you can get Him at Him through this communication of Himself in His Word. It's because we love Him and we want more of Him. You know, I want more of you, God. Is that, is, is, is that echo in your heart? See, as you read through this psalm, it's very convicting. You know, when He says, you know, I pant after your, your word. You get the idea of a, a deer. It's the same word used for the deer panting after the water brook. And my soul pants after you, O God. But he can say, my soul doesn't just pant after God. My soul pants after his words because they're his words. And I pant after them. Some of, some of the time when you pray through this psalm, you just have to confess your sin, you know. You have to confess, Lord, I, I, don't, I really don't feel toward your word like that. It's really not a delight to me. It, I don't rejoice over it. But then the encouraging thing is that he means to make that true in your life. This just isn't something <clears throat> ultimately to convict you, but it, it's where God wants to take you. Here's the description of what God will make you to be 
as as belonging to Him. Isn't that glorious? You could read the kind of transcript of your character as God forms it in this way. It's not just to sit there and say, wow, look at this godly man who has this response to God's Word. Wish I could be that way. No, that's not grace. That's not God's transforming power. It's to set this before you to say, this is what you can be. This is what I will make you. This was a man just like you, human being. Just as lost, just as broken, just as hardened apart from my grace. This is what he became. And it's laid before us so that we can become that as well. So this word is his revelation of himself. It is his word. It's where you get him. It's where he, in a sense, kind of puts himself on display throughout his word, uh, like a gigantic museum of of glorious uh, art and artifacts of every kind that, that amaze us, that thrill us, that stagger us with their complexity and arrangement and beauty. And, and that's why the psalmist's expressions about God and his word are just so intermingled because he's, he's coming to grips with God and his word, and that's why he's so passionate about it. But that analogy of a museum kind of falls short because I'd have to say that getting into his word is more like a hands-on museum. Well, we always love hands-on museums with our kids because you're not just sitting there, you know, looking at something behind under a glass case, but you're getting involved with it and you're feeling it and you're watching it, you're experiencing it. That's what getting his word is like, truly, is is you're being drawn into the presence of God. You are coming to grips with God himself. He is not removed from us so that we stare at him from a distance. It's like the difference between reading about dolphins and then being in the water with dolphins. And in his word, you get in the water with God. Yeah, there's stories from years ago. There's stories that uh, what he has accomplished in many ways, ultimately, of course, fully through the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a story where his story comes and enters into our story and challenges our story, invades our story, and transforms our story. His story meets our story, and the divine invades the human. And so this, in, in this word, he's to be had. It's to be tasted and known, not to just be looked at from, from a distance. So it is His Word, it's your Word, uh, and, and therefore He is to be had in it. So this, you see His love, this relationship of God by His personal expressions about God scattered throughout, about the fact that He uses this possessive description of His Word, and finally, His passionate expressions about God's Word. Okay, his his personal expressions about God, his uh, his possessive description of the word, and then this passionate expression about God's word. Verse fourteen: In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And then verse seventy-two, practically the same thing: The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We'd say, your word is better than, to me than winning the lottery, even when it's $325 million. Which I hear it, it was that a few days ago. <laughs> not that I would notice. Not that I would notice. 
But your law is better to me than winning the lottery. Your, better, your law is better to me than if I came into an inheritance of tens of millions of dollars. I'd say, no, no, this is the best. This is it, your law, your word. Or verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Consumed. I'm eaten up with desire. <laughs> okay? Eaten up with desire. I'm consumed. I'm burning with passion for your word. And along those lines, I already quoted verse uh, 131. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. And verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Well, will you pray with me that these expressions will not be foreign to you, but you could, by God's grace, say this same thing? We won't say it perfectly. We won't say it every moment of the day because we just won't be perfect. We're weak. We're still struggling with sin. We still have remaining sin. But I want to read those things in hope. Yeah, conviction for sure, but then in hope that God will bring this about in our lives, this kind of attitude. And in all of this uh, coming to God's Word, it requires work. It's difficult. Everybody knows how difficult it is to get into God's Word regularly, to discuss His Word regularly, to have this passion for His Word. I, I thought about this uh, a weird illustration, but what if the only way I could get to Kay, the only way I could communicate with her, and maybe this has vision, uh, kind of got this idea from Shawshank Redemption, but say I had to crawl through a tunnel, a pipe for 200 feet to get to her. Now, I used to work in a drilling firm, and I would get in a pipe that was 40 feet below and my shoulders were touching each side. And if you had a touch of claustrophobia, you'd just be at the bottom going, yeah, you know, screaming. Because you look up at the top and it looks like one of those little lights up there, you know, just that's, that's the only light you have and you're down there drilling and all this stuff in this tiny little place. But so now I'm crawling through a pipe to get, okay, would I crawl 200 feet to get to her so that I could talk to her? It's the only way I could talk to her. I'd say, yeah, absolutely, I crawled 200 feet. Maybe not 300, but I crawled... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but what, if, what if it was so long that by the time I got out to the other side, what she got left, what she had left when I got out wasn't worth even touching or looking at hardly, you know. Would I, would I crawl that far to get to her? And I think, yes, I would. Unless I just couldn't get to her, I would do practically anything to get to her. What if I just came tumbling out in a heap and she just said, okay, you can go back now, you know, (laughs) because you look so bad. Kind of reminds me of my uh, brother-in-law. This kind of fits, but it's just a funny story. Um, (laughs) His his son, Lucas, was there holding the ladder, and he was going to go up. He had just done some... uh, cleaned out the gutters on one level of his house, but it's a two-story house. So the ladder was all the way to the top story. He was going to get off the ladder onto that, or the roof or maybe from there just try to clean out the gutters. So he says, but he didn't realize how high it was when, until he got up there. So this is how the conversation went. And his, his son tells the story. Uh, 
Lucas, hold the ladder. I'm going up. Oh, I'm all the way up the top. Lucas, hold the ladder. I'm coming down. <laughs> and we really think that way a lot of times about the word. You know, we think I'm going to, I'm going up. I'm going to, I'm going to study the word. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be disciplined. And then a few days into it, it's like I'm coming down. I'm coming out of this. It's too hard. It's just not worth it. But I really believe that if I had to get hurt to see her, like if it hurt me physically to get to her, I would do that. Because I I really can't imagine, unless she's just gone, I can't imagine not living life in communication with my wife. I I just can't. I wouldn't. And if it hurt me and I gradually lost my health, yeah, I would do that. I would do no matter what. And I think some of you would say the same thing about your husband or your wife. You'd say, I'd do anything to get to her. And so you have to ask the question, what am I willing to do to get to God? And what do I have to do? Well, I know in one sense, you know, I just have to do this. That's what I, I don't have to crawl through a pipe. I don't have to crawl through my knees like a Hindu on uh, thorns and other things and, and penance to shed my own blood for my own sins. I mean, God has come to us. He's come to us. He's come to us in the translation of the word into English. He's come to us with all the multiple helps we have to understand it. God's just coming right into our face and saying, here I am, here I am. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what's going on here? And yes, you've got children, you've got responsibilities. I don't want to lay a no, no, there's another lay of guilt on me. You know, I've got to have a consistent quiet time, you know, and all that kind of thing. I'm trying to approach it from the standpoint of there is glory waiting to break out into your life and to break out into every other part of your life transform the whole of your life that is in this word as you come to this God, this relationship with him through through his word. And so I would suggest that we kind of go into Psalm 119 training, okay? (laughs) Psalm 119 training. What I give, and I'll hand this out in a revised form next week, but to take one section a day before your own devotion. It's what I've done for years. And sometimes it gets so rich, I end up the eight verses are my devotion. But, but to read those eight verses and then to pray through them, some of it will be confession, some of it you'll enter into as praise, some of it you'll say, oh Lord, I don't feel this way, but thank you that you will do this in me. But pray through his own interaction with the word. I think that God would have us do that. And then... It can be just a couple of minutes of exercise and then go to his word. You see, this this manual, so to speak, Psalm 119, trains you in how to even approach, how to even think about the rest of the word. It'd be a great exercise for you. More, and and it, it creates an appetite. It creates a joy. It, it helps you see how should I feel? What should I think about this word? Then you go into all the word and it's wonderful, varied beauty. It's history, it's stories, biographies, poetry, letters, prophetic announcements, etc. But here are 176 prayer points. 
even more because some verses contain more than that. Hundreds of prayer points about the Word of God. And one central prayer here, open my eyes, verse 18, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. What's the recognition? Unless you open my eyes, I will not behold those things. I won't see them. I'll be blind to them. I'm naturally blind. Lord, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things that are there. Like the sun is there. Beautiful red and orange and yellow colors of trees, so to speak, are there. You know, the glorious landscape of his word. Open my eyes that I can see that. But we have to say before we close, that has a special slant now because of the New Testament revelation. Think of what Jesus said to his disciples in, after the resurrection. Thus it is written that the Messiah, speaking of himself, should... Uh, he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, in the whole of the Old Testament, all those things written about me must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. So opening my mind now, opening my eyes to behold the wonderful things in God's law includes this central aspect. It's the subtitle of the children's Bible we have out there. Every story whispers his name. Every story is ultimately pointing us to, urging us to, wooing us to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so opening my eyes to understand the scripture is ultimately, oh Lord Jesus, may I meet you. And however you display yourself, however you lead me to yourself in your word, that I may taste you and feed upon you. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is, it is that if you turn it on and hold it forward. It's not, it, it is that inerrantly, you know, in, in the fact that it is light. But he says, it's a light to my feet. It's a lamp to my path, okay? Uh, you must make that. You must make that true to, to get into His Word, to know God who is light and to have that light poured out into your life and to be a light for your path. But for all, the central message of this Word is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The God who wrote this word, the God who gave this word to come and die for our sins, to suffer in our place that we might not bear the wrath of God, to bring us into fellowship with this God, into a relationship with this God in which our sins could be forgiven and he would do all good things to form us into his image, to bring us ultimately to the new heavens and the new earth. This word in its essence, is good news. It is a glorious good news that leads up to and speaks about the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners. And so, even, even all the things that the psalmist says about the Word, we have to say, even that was kind of black and white compared to the technicolor now to say, the whole of the Word is about God's rescue of us. 
how glorious, how much more then should we make it our meditation? You sing with me. Thy word is a lamp into my path and a light unto my path. I sang it wrong. Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light unto my path. O Lord, may we make it so. O Lord, may we seek you with all of our hearts by seeking you in your word. May we encourage one another with your word. May we comfort one another. May we speak the good news of Jesus Christ to one another. O Lord, give yourself to us abundantly as we seek you in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?